This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. 1982 and the Blockbuster. their entire body all they came with was like mm-hmm. the top of their torso that had mm-hmm. arm sockets and a hole for their head but you built everything else whatever body and legs and everything you wow. built those that oh. square bricks you had to get a a male lego and a female lego oh boy this is we're talking back in the day here <laughs> yep it was educational only in the 80s I'm not sure that's right? how that happened hey welcome <laughs> back to another episode of 1980s now a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture. Importance. <laughs> is, is that like the is that like that moment on the Brady Bunch when he hits puberty? Remember it's a, it's when a, it's time to it change. Does. Peter, what's wrong with you? It's the importance of pop you culture. Then he's like, it's time to it's change. Time to rearrange. Anyway, Something so yeah, like this that. is a show that examines 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name's Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. Hello, guys. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? And be sure to check out John at his full-time job hosting Gen X Grown Up, the podcast mm-hmm. and the YouTube channel and the t-shirt and the <laughs> mud flaps. <laughs> and the beach towel. Merchandising. <laughs> hey, on today's show- That was then. Yep. This is now. <laughs> <laughs> on today's show, we're going to talk about the 1980s origin of the summer blockbuster with mm-hmm. journalist Jeremy Smith. Mm-hmm. I, I've always heard some part of this, right? And the part, this is a spoiler alert, I guess, was that Jaws is really what kicked off the blockbuster just generally. That was the first blockbuster we ever had. That's okay. kind of everybody sort of knows That's that. That's what I heard too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this gentleman comes and gives us a little more detail how there's a, uh, something that happened during the 1980s that really created the summer blockbuster as we know it today. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're going to add some texture to that tab. Yeah. Right All right. On. Hey, a couple of brief announcements. Hey, join me June 17th and 18th at Anime Ohio. I'll be uh, leading a few uh, different panels there with some of the voice huh. actors from some of your favorite contemporary anime. Look, I, I've wow. loved anime since the 1980s. I don't know that I knew it was anime, though. I think we talked about that. <laughs> right. Were you a fan of uh, Battle of the Planets, John? Uh, you know... Those kind of Japanimation anime imported things, yep. like they were what was on while I was waiting to watch the things I was waiting mm-hmm. for. But I didn't turn them off because the alternate alternative was to do yep. homework and I wasn't right. going to do that. <laughs> yes. So I saw a lot of them. Not my favorites. Didn't have the toys. No. Well, that's true. Did you say Japanimation? I've never heard that before. He did like they do on Electric yeah. Company. Japan. Omation. Japan. Omation. together. And then somehow Morgan Freeman was involved. Anyway, visit mm-hmm. AnimeOhio.com for more information. And similarly, John, I know you've got an appearance coming up, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, we're a few weeks out, but uh, our my favorite show of the year, the Southern Fried Gaming Expo, is in Atlanta. Uh-huh. It's July 15th through the 17th, and the whole Gen X grown-up crew is going to be there. Wow. Uh, it's, I mean, what they have like arcade games mm. and like 300 plus arcade games and pinball machines and consoles and board games and like wrestling and crazy stuff. It's a, it's a whole weekend dedicated <laughs> to gaming. We're going to be there. Are you going to be wrestling? I, well, <laughs> Not officially. It could happen, I suppose. It might be. I mean, you know, it's not it's not Will or Cat. It's the third best thing to 1980s now. I will be there. I'm gonna come and visit. You can head to gameatl.com and if you pre-order your ticket and use 
Uh, coupon code Gen X Grown Up. You get five bucks yeah. off Ooh, your admission. So right. good time. I can't That's wait. It's going to be percentage. a great time. So are these yeah. uh, arcade games set to free play? Or do you got to play them? Pay for them? You know, every single one of them. Your admission gets you everything. That's awesome. Huh? Yep. They have a thousand board games. You go there, mm-hmm. hand them your ID. Wow. They hand you a board game. You play for as long as you want. You bring it back. Get another one. It's just. It's a great. Great weekend. Wow. You know, nice. I realized it would be really fun, John, if we could coordinate just being at the same convention at the same time. Can you go to Atlanta? I'll be there. You know, I did. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I did think that. I was like, oh, this oh. sounds like a convention I'm interested in. And John's mm-hmm. and Gen X guys are going to be there. Huh. When is it? I know it's oh. like it's the third week of July, I think, right? Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So it's about a month mm-hmm. after your Anime Ohio. So almost yeah. exactly. All right, cool. Well, hey, there's at least two opportunities to uh, come hang out with the John and myself in the next upcoming awesome. weeks. Okay, hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news because we got a lot of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. And look, I, oh, this is, I'm just going to tell you something right up, up front, guys. There's a lot of Top Gun-related news. As well there should be. Yes. Right? <laughs> and I guess we should right say this, too. On. Probably should have said this already. Uh, part of the reason that it's you know timely that we're going to speak with uh, Jeremy about this article about how the summer blockbusters began in the 80s is I don't feel like we had a summer blockbuster for a long time until Maverick just came out this week. You know, Yeah, mm. Ghostbusters tried huh. kind of it, a bit, but Maverick mm-hmm. really feels like an old school blockbuster. It, it feels like an 80s film, actually. Yeah. It, yes, yes. So along those lines, there's a ton of news related to Top Gun that uh, for us to report, including that Kenny Loggins was far from the first choice to sing Danger Zone. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Now, it may be difficult to believe that, uh, you know, Kenny Loggins, who's (laughs) regarded as the king of the movie soundtrack. Actually, that was a trivia question this past uh, week on trivia, right? Mm -hmm. Something, Or maybe I think it was this month. Mm -hmm. But he didn't write all of his 1980s movie hits, you know, and and a lot of the Mm -hmm. songs that we know from films that came out that are like huge hits and connected with the film aren't always written by the artists that ultimately perform them. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't Mm -hmm. even the first choice to sing it either. So Danger Zone, which you won't won't know, Mm -hmm. is that that song from the 1980 blockbuster, like we're talking about, Top Gun, was actually composed by legendary musician, producer, Giorgio Moroder. So cool. Look, if you you never heard of this guy, probably, except on the show. Look him up. Well, I have. (laughs) Cat's a... What's it? What's it? A music <laughs> audio file? Is that it? Or what do you say for music? <laughs> in some in some respects, yes. <laughs> well, he's See, he's connected to file. Duran Duran. Audio so. file. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> See, you put the words together. Just like Japan. And me. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but what were we talking about? I, 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 I derailed. Like, anyway, and the lyrics were by Tom Whitlock. <laughs> Uh, but Kenny Loggins recently reminded reporters at the Top Gun Maverick premiere that, quote, there were supposed to be three or four other acts on the hook before me and they all dropped out. Kevin Cronin mm-hmm. from Ario Speedwagon said, I dropped out because the notes were too high. He couldn't hit the mm-hmm. high notes, end quote. Uh, we've also learned that the band Toto was one of the other groups that was considered. But That's the one I can't believe. Right. I cannot hear that <laughs> sung by Toto. Now, there are a couple of these that sound like, oh, that that, that could kind of have worked. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been Loggins, like, but Toto? Maybe Brian Adams, mm. right? That was one of the mm. Yeah, Brian Adams. That sounded like a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got the voice for yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Jefferson Starship was another that was supposedly uh, in the running. And there's different reasons why they weren't Maybe. able to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you're saying, because they weren't Kenny damn Loggins. That's one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, ultimately <laughs> the, these guys, Oh, Corey Hart was another one that passed. Oh, uh, okay. He, Corey Hart mm. said he likes to write and sing his own music. Um, of course the night, this look, this song was huge. Like many of the Kenny Loggins songs associated with films. This was another hit for him. Mm-hmm. It, however, was held out uh, from uh, reaching number one by Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer. Mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. song that I love. Uh, Loggins yeah. attributes the song's success to Maroder, who again, look this guy up. He's written, he started back in the 70s. He's he's known as 
creating, you know, disco and refining mm-hmm. disco during the Donna Summer era. Donna mm. Summer's big album in the late 70s. That's Giorgio Moroder. Right. With his protege, yeah. Harold Faltermeyer, by the way, who wrote the Ooh. score for Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those guys are, you know, like a hand-in-hand sort of combo. But um, he said, uh, with regards to Moroder, Logan said, quote, he was definitely writing to the visuals. So the whole opening of the movie with the aircraft carrier scenes, he'd already seen it. He got the tempo. He got the melodic ideas from that, end quote. And it fits. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys saw the film. Uh, and yes. I don't think this, this isn't a spoiler, but um, Loggins had originally pitched, and we heard him say this a couple, I think in 2018, he announced it on some talk show that he was writing a new Danger Zone version. He referred to it as Danger Zone 5.0 for the film. Okay. Ultimately, mm-hmm. the director, Joe Kaczynski and Tom Cruise said, mm, you know what? We're going to go with the old Mm-mm. The original version. <laughs> I would love uh-huh. to hear his take on an updated Danger Zone. It starts like this. <laughs> okay. I no longer want to hear an updated Dennis take like a on Danger like, Zone. Highway to the Danger Zone. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It's like the Mumblecore rappers. I would love to I don't know. <laughs> I've got a like, career in like that. Oh, yeah. nice well, Joseph Kaczynski <laughs> told Entertainment Weekly that his intention of using the original piece of music, mm-hmm. uh, and look, mm-hmm. this isn't a spoiler either, right? That you could almost, if you put both these movies side by side, you wouldn't necessarily be sure which one came out in 1986. We're talking about the first few <laughs> minutes here, but he did it intentionally. Yes. Yeah, the first four minutes is like, am I seeing the first right. one again? What? Is this the is second this one? I'm not feature? sure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And it didn't upset me, but it was really cool. Yeah. I went out to the theater manager. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I complained. <laughs> no, what are you doing here? Taking our money and showing us the same movie we saw already. What a racket. Yeah. I was escorted out. But uh, Joseph Kaczynski (laughs) said, this is a, he said his intention was to tell the audience, quote, this is a Top Gun movie. We love it as much as you do. From there, our story goes in a very different direction. But I wanted the first few minutes to let the audience know, don't worry. We love it too. This is going to be a Top Gun movie. (laughs) Now, you know, this again, this, this isn't a spoiler either, but- I, I I had forgotten, I guess in the first film, you only hear Danger Zone at the beginning of the movie. It doesn't kick in like uh, mm-hmm. like Iron Eagle, where like they're in a dogfight and then, you know, it starts coming in. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I noticed that during a yeah, pivotal yeah. action scene in the film, you could hear the orchestra playing the score and it was playing one of the strings or, you know, some of the strings were playing the melody of Danger Zone. Yes. Yes. You heard that. Absolutely, I did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ah. I'm glad you, you brought uh, it up. The audio file caught it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, bum, 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 yeah. bum. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I turned to my wife and I was like, it's danger zone. Mm. It's danger zone. And she's like, shut up. Quiet. <laughs> like settle Gosh. down, settle down. Don't get kicked out again. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. I'm still waiting to see how it ends. You would have been used at a battering ram the next time. <laughs> <laughs> and other 1980s news and also related to Top Gun. According to Music Radar, Harold Faltermeyer's mm-hmm. Top Gun anthem was originally intended for a comedy, but then Billy Idol got involved. What? So uh, Music Radar, and probably because it's timely, dug up this old interview from uh, uh, when Harold Faltermeyer spoke to the Red Bull Music Academy in 2014. Mm. Now, it's hard to imagine this theme being for a comedy. I and mean, we're talking about the Top Gun theme. It plays at the very beginning, like we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But uh, Faltermeyer had said in this interview that originally it was intended for a dream sequence in 1985's comedy Fletch. <laughs> so if, if you remember that okay. film, there's a dream <laughs> sequence where Chevy Chase imagines that he's a, he's a starter for the LA Lakers. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. I remember, John, you remember this? He's the, the, the announcer's like, he's six, four, six, nine with the, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to hear the theme with it. Like it does, it does have a little bit of serious, the, the Chicago bulls kind of a tone to it. So I could see that like not in a comedy film, but in the sequence in a comedy mm-hmm. film, I can hear it. 
Yeah. I'm glad they, I'm glad it ended up with yeah. Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, I could see it being kind of dreamlike, especially with that tubular bell, a DX7 mm-hmm. dong that you point out. Mm-hmm. The bell. Yeah. Can I just say, yeah. like, I don't remember that from watching Top Gun. You don't? 80s. But the other, no, the bell, the oh. bell. But the yeah, other the bell. night. You don't remember the bell? We're watching and it starts and I'm mm-hmm. like, why are they playing Do They Know It's Christmas? Oh, see, yeah. <laughs> oh. Like, yes. Is this tubular bells? We this would happen at Christmas? Show. <laughs> no, this was uh, the sound that was, it's, it's, a, it's a built-in sound from the D- yes. Yamaha DX7, D, uh, this tubular mm-hmm. bell sound. Yeah. You know, it was sort of, uh, you know, ubiquitous mm-hmm. in the 1980s. And it's mm-hmm. also the Taco Bell sound. Dong. Yes. So now. Yep, no, it is. I thought Kat was going to say she was heading for the border. Well. <laughs> she passed me in the lobby. Right, it's a sleigh ride. So Faltemar said that he was working on the song when it was overheard by Billy Idol, who was in the studio next door, and Billy Idol peeks in. I just picture this, like, Billy Idol's just like, you know, hey, that's great, you should use it for Top Gun. You need the 45-degree sneer. You're going to do this thing. Yeah, and a 45-degree angle as his head pops out. Can't do it. I love this story. Because of that, it's it's just like last week when we talked about people being in the same studio mm. at the same time and chance things Serendipity. happening. I love this for that. Yeah. Uh, Faltemar <laughs> said he thought about it more and more and more, and he uh, knew that was the theme for Top Gun, saying that mm. Billy Idol was somehow the initiator of that. Hmm. Faltemar also told Red Bull Music Academy during this interview that he had no briefing ahead of the the, the Top Gun anthem, other than to imagine uh, pilots that are like rock and rollers in the sky. <laughs> Um, he said it was quote a situation where he composed the theme before the movie was shot. Wow. And um, quote. Yeah. So, and if it finally sort of came to sort of finalize what the theme was, uh, that it was going to be the theme when he was having dinner with the Top Gun producers, Don Simpson and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer who asked to hear it. And so with Simpson and Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise in tow, they headed over to Faltermeyer's mm-hmm. studio so he could play it on the piano and he got the thumbs up and that was it. It was done. <laughs> now look I, I talked to Harold Faltemeyer in 2020 during mm-hmm. the pandemic he had already finished the film and I asked him about do you have your original gear still and he said I do he said oh. some of the older stuff uh, it, it requires some you know uh, TLC and he has somebody that comes by and sort of you know keeps it up to date or keeps it functioning but he mm-hmm. said he has tried to use computers including making that bell sound for Maverick on a computer that simulates a DX7. And he said, couldn't do it. It didn't oh. seem right. So I got out the DX7s you know, that I mm. used for the original movie. Mm-hmm. And we just mm-hmm. did it again off of that. So cool. yep. did Faltemeyer re-record this then? That sounds like he must have re-recorded it for Maverick because Danger Zone sounded like an absolute, it was just the same song. It didn't seem redone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I believe he did. Yeah. And he worked it. And it was uh, he and Hans Zimmer one of his contemporaries uh, did the score. Mm-hmm. And oh. I noticed in the credits, it also said Lady Gaga did some work on this for the music as well. I wasn't sure what her she, role was. Yeah, it was. Oh, she uh, sang. Yeah, she did. Yeah, I ahead. think it's toward the end of the film. It might be after the reconciliation yes. and they're all kind of getting together. It's like a happy, kind of an uplifting little bit of song with a melancholy, yes. happy-ish. Yeah. And you say yeah, you hear yeah, her yeah. singing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you get a composer credit for singing on one song? Well, she composed uh, that song. Yeah, but that should just be at the end when they show all the songs, you know? Hmm, I mean, the well. other two guys are writing every single note that you hear behind every. Oh, She's Lady Gaga. Come on. <laughs> hey, in other 1980s news, the trailer for the upcoming Disney Plus series Willow has dropped. Mm. Uh, have mm-hmm. you guys seen yep. the trailer? Yes. 
You bet. Absolutely. Are you encouraged? Discouraged? You couldn't care less because you didn't really like the first movie? (laughs) I think that's where John's going. I'm I'm trying to guess now based on John's expression here. I I appreciated the tone. Uh, I I liked what it looked like. And is it, uh, it's a mini series, I think, not just a film as I recall. It's a little mini series around Disney Plus. It was great to see Warwick Davis again. I talked Mm -hmm. about how I love seeing older films, see those actors come back age oh, the appropriate yeah. amount and continue. Right. It's another mm-hmm. one of those that I yeah. love. He yep. just, he looked awesome in that mm-hmm. trailer. I'm like, yep. I understand it probably won't be focused around him, but he's, he's the Yoda. It looks like of this series. Mm. It's kind of the, he's, he's the, the spiritual center and he's kind of leading right. people. I think looks, it looks promising. what do you think? Kat? I, I think it looks really great. To be honest, I can't really remember if I saw <laughs> Willow back okay. when it first came out. Definitely have not seen it recently, but watching mm-hmm. this trailer, I was like, Whoa, I want to make sure I see the old one and watch this yeah. one too. Gritty fantasy, right? It's not yeah. it's not like it's, all shiny. It's a nice right. dirty. That's what Willow was, and this continue of that theme, I think. What were you gonna say? Uh, a dirty fantasy? Wait, what? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I'm gritty, talking over you, John. Gritty. Dirty what? Oh. <laughs> Something dirty. <laughs> yeah, and yes, and I think the look, the original film, much like I think, you know, consistent with George Lucas's creation of Star Wars. So George Lucas came up with the story. I don't know if he wrote the script. I don't know that he wrote the script. Certainly it was his story. It's his story. Ron Howard directed it. Mm-hmm. The It's probably no surprise. It looks like he cribbed a lot of stuff from Tolkien to make Willow. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, instead mm-hmm. of having the Hobbits, you've got Warwick Davis's yeah. characters, you know, these uh, short, shorter stature mm-hmm. folks, folks mm-hmm. and uh, an evil, powerful sorcerer. I think sorceress mm-hmm. is the bad, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Yeah. So this film to me looked a lot, I thought the trailer looked to me like a lot like Lord of the Rings, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. The way yep. that, uh, you, but but in, in a good way. Um, and I, I do look mm-hmm. forward to it. It did have that sense of a spirit. And I thought, actually, when I saw that trailer for that, I thought, oh, finally we're getting the Dungeons and Dragons movie we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like it Maybe. had a f- fun spirit yeah. and, you know. The uh, characters look great. <laughs> yeah. So um, to, to your point, John, so the, 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 the new film, the new series rather is set 20 years after the 1988 movie. So it's not exactly great. Perfectly yeah, chronological, ish. but it's, yeah, it's jump forward. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And Warwick Davis and Joanne Whaley are back playing both, but both playing yep. the original characters from the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanne Whaley played uh, the warrior queen, Sorcha. She would watch, whatever. You, you watch the movie, Cat. I'm not going to tell you the story. We bring <laughs> I am going to watch the movie. I'm going to yeah, find out, out how to movie, but, figure uh, out yeah, how to Of course, it. Warwick Davis, you know, who John uh, shouted out, loved by Lucasfilm, right? I mean, this this is a oh, guy yeah. who started as a kid mm-hmm. in Star Wars films, you know, playing, mm-hmm. played Wicket W. Warwick, the Ewok, you know, so had his, yes. uh, his own name in there. And of course, <laughs> now we're getting to see him in a film where we see his, uh, another property where we get to see his uh, face. Handsome fellow, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Warwick mm-hmm. said with regard to the upcoming series, I quote, many fans have told me they grew up with Willow and that the film influenced how they view heroism in our world. Mm-hmm. If Willow Offgood can represent the heroic potential in all of us, all of us, then he is a character I'm extremely honored to reprise. Now, the the uh, trailer was first released uh, in connection with Star Wars Celebration on uh, May 26th. Mm-hmm. And yep. there was a lot of reports and rumors coming out of that uh, convention with regard to another actor and, and mm. uh, his appearance in the property. Of course, we're talking mm-hmm. about Val Kilmer, who starred in the film. Yes. Right. Speaking of reprisals, yes. right? And then mm-hmm. those flames got fanned when Maverick came out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, I don't want to, I don't say anything, but yeah. things happen in Maverick yes. that lead mm-hmm. you to believe that 
anything is possible. I mean, yeah. Mad Mardigan was a huge, was a huge part. You know, he was, he was a catalyst to make things happen in the original Willow. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. like, you know, you, you hear there are conflicting articles though, Will, that yep. suggest Willy Wony kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you're saying, suggesting I was one of those folks that was so optimistic or cautiously optimistic, you know, Val Kilmer, who we know has uh, battled uh, throat cancer and had to have a surgery, right. which, which left him largely without a voice. Right. Had some recent breakthroughs where a company had developed an AI that allowed him to quote speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the documentary about his uh, life that he uh, recent, that recently came out, his son does the talking on his behalf and sounds very much like him. So I thought, yeah, there's a great, well, a lot of ways we could get Mad Marty to get in here maybe, but mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Entertainment Weekly confirmed that Val Kilmer is not going to be in the forthcoming show. Right. Nevertheless, Mad Mardigan will be remembered somehow in the series. Uh, Jonathan Kasdan uh, of Lawrence Kasdan fame, (laughs) Lawrence Kasdan's (laughs) son, Jonathan Kasdan, who's, you know, he's a successful writer in his own right, in his uh, showrunner, one of the showrunners of this show, said, quote, Val's a huge part of this. And the first conversation I had when Warwick and I got the green light to do this was with Val. Mm. We wanted his character to be part of the story. We wanted him to be in the show. He is in the show in a big way, end quote. So what that means, we don't know. Um, Ah, I know, nebulous. But I'm hopeful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a result of like John pointed out, look, there's a picture of uh, Iceman in the Top Gun Maverick trailer. So it's not terribly Mm -hmm. a spoiler to suggest you may see Iceman in there in some capacity. Uh, we mm-hmm. won't tell you right. what that is, but um, right. there's some folks suggesting that maybe because he's not in Willow, but he has a brief appearance in that, that the Top Gun Maverick may be his, may very well be his last role. Mm-hmm. And that's super sad to me. Val Kilmer is such, such an iconic part of, of 80s film culture. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Right. It's just, I mean, yep. and not just Willow and Top Gun. Yeah. I mean, what real genius and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. Was top secret, I think. Is oh. to, to think that the man is still here, but his acting days are behind him because of his, his, uh, his illness. It's, yeah. uh, it's sad. Now, no, Maverick, not a bad film to go out on, but yeah. I'd like to think that maybe there's more possibilities. Yeah. Right. He was definitely a household name in the 80s because yes. even I yeah. <laughs> was yeah. very aware of Val Kilmer. Are you familiar with yeah. his films? Have you seen a lot of his films in the 80s and since, Kat, do you know? I don't know about, I mean, I'm mm. sure I haven't seen all of them, but I yeah. just, mm-hmm. I, that was a name that I knew. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. I saw Top Gun. Um, right. and, well, well, yeah, I don't remember what else. I've seen him and I know I've seen him in more than that. Yeah. But he, he was just, he was famous. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah. considering that John seems to know a lot about him and, and you don't, you're going to need help for this because once again, it's oh. time to play. It's yet another long series of diversions <laughs> in an attempt to avoid responsibility. Oh my God. Okay, look, so I've got 10 Val Kilmer fi- hel- films here now. Oh boy. Unfortunately, he, was only, he wasn't in that many in the 80s. So I had to take some from the 90s as well. But okay. we're going to do this like pyramid. I'm going to give you one word. I'm going to allow it. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, like, I try to make it as, uh, I put enough parameters on myself that I had, I couldn't, it, it made it, um, some of these more challenging. I don't think okay. any of them are challenging. So I limited it to a one syllable word. Ugh, I'm dying. Like pyramid. Here. I'll give you a one syllable word. And you oh. tell me what film I'm talking about. Uh, oh, that's dark Val Kilmer. All right, here got we go. got my phone ready. In no particular, <laughs> <laughs> you, you both can, will contribute. Okay. Well, just, let's just, you both do it together. How about that? Yep. All right, here we go. Same Ready? Word. No particular order. Mm-hmm. Here is your one word clue. Sing. Uh, mm, sing. 
Sing? Dang it, I gave the wrong oh, word. Man, I'm drawing a blank. I had another word, but sing. Sing. Ooh. One syllable word. Sing. All right, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, tell I you got what. nothing, cat. All right. I no, I tell you what, I'll let you pass. We can come back to it. Maybe maybe you'll get rid of all the other movies by deduction you'll get it. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. With that. Sounds good. Okay. Here we go. One word. West. Val Kilmer starred in this film. Um <laughs> guys, this is harder than I thought. I should go to two syllable words. All right, two syllable multi-syllabic words. Okay. Huckleberry. Huckleberry. He's, he's dumbing down the game for us, and we still suck at this game. Huckleberry? <laughs> You don't get a Val Kilmer movie from Huckleberry? Oh, I'll give you the full quote. I I hear it. I but I yeah, I'm I your Huckleberry. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, that was I can't remember if it's the film one. I should just tell you the film's end. Passing is not gonna help you guys. No. All right. I was looking for Tombstone. Uh, this is a terrible you? game. We're throwing this whole game out. All right, guys. That was nineteen eighties news. <laughs> All right, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll just stick with the ones from the nineteen eighties. Okay, here we go. Was the other one the doors? I got that yes! one. Yes. Right? All right, we're back in. All right the game's back on again. The, the game do- is back oh, on. No. Oh, no. Because he was singing. I just see. I, just, I understand how Will's mind works right. now. See, I, I feel really dumb now because I we're definitely saw multi, that. Multi, multi-syllabic <laughs> words. All right. I'm, I'm loosening myself up. There the criteria. All right. Here you go. Ready? Doors. Popcorn. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. 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 I think. Yeah. Go. I think. Real genius? That's right! <laughs> Darn. I was going to make that my guess for everything until it was for, Just always real genius. <laughs> real genius really? right. Here we go. Uh, spy. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it top secret? Yes, that's right! Oh, oh, you did say that name earlier. I think that I was his, maybe his that. first yeah. film it or a breakout first film for him. Film. Yes. Was it? Okay. okay. Yeah, so and, yeah. and uh, it turns out, and I believe I believe I got this right. So Val Kilmer was the youngest person ever to be accepted to go to the Juilliard School as an oh, actor, wow. and nice. I believe he left. I don't think he graduated. I believe he left early so that mm-hmm. he could uh, be in this film because he got offered this role. Wow. So, yes, he was to go man. be a superstar. So he might have been. I think he was all of like eighteen or so years old. Yeah. Oh, oh wow! My gosh. Yeah, he was a young, young guy. All right, here we go. Another one-word clue. Here, the, all right, I'm gonna I'm throwing the '90s movies back in there, John, because you, you're you're on a roll now. Okay. <laughs> that's terrible. Okay. Heist. Heist. I can only think of one film that's close. Okay. So okay. I have I have a guess. Yep. I have a guess. Yep. Go for it. True Romance. Oh, that's a good uh, guess. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking of Heat. Uh, Remember him in Heat? Oh, 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 that's that's definitely a heist film. I was trying to think of a more heisty film. And <laughs> yeah, that's true romance. Yeah. All right, here you go. True romance is really isn't a heist. It's just it's more of a crimey thing. Yeah. Mm, okay. He, he, here's your next one. Okay. Sword. Um. Um. Willow. Willow. Do it. That's Willow. Right. Do it. Willow. <laughs> do the one. You know the one. All right. How about this one? Uh, this is a little trickier. Thief. You really got to know this film to know that he's a thief in this film. Thief. Nothing yeah. for me. I was looking for the saint. It buzzed me. The saint. Oh. Okay. Oh. All right. Here's another one. Cowl. Cowl. Oh, oh, Batman Forever. Yes, Batman. <laughs> yes, he did. Batman Forever. He was in Batman yes, Forever. That's right. That one. And that was in the 90s. Yes. Right? 95? Oh, yeah. I said there's some 90s movies in here. Yes. All right. Uh, okay. Animals. Did he play Dr. Doolittle one time? You're so close. I think she's so close. 
It's like, what if Dr. Doolittle was an evil I, scientist, right? You're joking. <laughs> you're getting it. You're what? getting it. it it's uh, uh, the, the, the doctor. The, is the doctor. He's turning people into animals. <laughs> Shit. What's it called? What? I don't know. It's that one. Because he's I, in that one. The Island was, of Dr. Moreau. No, oh you give God. me a ding. You give me a ding, damn it. That was, I get a ding. Damn it. Thank you. I was give so Give me a close. ding, damn it. <laughs> My earpiece fell out. I'm bobbing around here. I'm laughing at you guys. All right. And finally, the final clue here is speed. Speed. Oh. Val Kilmer film, speed. Oh. oh. Top gun. That's right. <laughs> John gave me the for it. All right, hey, yes. that was, believe it or not, that was 1980. Painful, what that was. That was excruciating. <laughs> it's the Cooper and Anthony Show. Please welcome John Oates to the show. Hi, John. Yeah, you know what? This is way funnier than I thought it was going to be. We're talking with Brendan Fraser. How do you work with Pauly Shore and Helen Mirren in one career? <laughs> you get really lucky. What did you learn from Pauly Shore? Don't do that. Miley <laughs> Cyrus. I was going to bring you a bottle of blonde and a bottle of brown hair. Hair dye. And I have both. <laughs> Here's what I pick both. one. My theory is that the blonde is the old you growing out, right? right. And the, the and the people. natural color is like the Who natural right you. Now. Yeah, exactly. It is exactly what I've been as a kid. I've always been both. I would wear my brown hair when I was Miley, and I would wear my blonde wig when I was Hannah Montana. So I've always had both. Brady Bunch star Maureen McCormick traded sex for drugs. Seriously? Yeah, I did. I mean, I knew some dealers, and they had the coke. And I wanted it, and I would have sex for it. We believe fake news is just more entertaining. It's the Cooper and Anthony Show. Hey, uh, hey! if you like our, our show, please like, rate, review, subscribe, share a post on Facebook. Seriously, these are free mm-hmm. things you can do to help the show. I'll tell you about one mm-hmm. that you can pay for later. But in the meanwhile, those are free. And here's an example of a review. We've got a five-star review from someone named Thomas Donahue who writes, this podcast is life. The banter, the hot takes, the incredible guests, not to mention the subjects they choose to cover. They're always the ones you find yourself talking to your friends about when you're recounting the best decade. Mm -hmm. I've answered back, nodded in agreement, and laughed out loud at my desk more times than I care to admit. Thanks, Thomas. Wow, thanks, Thomas. Hopefully he can answer back and get the answers quicker than we did (laughs) with that quiz. He, he must have written that before I joined the show because he really liked it. Then. <laughs> Here's another review. One star. What's with the new guy? What's with the new guy? Are you kidding me with this? <laughs> doesn't know anything about Val Kilmer. Claims to be his number one oh, fan and yet doesn't yeah. know what a Huckle, the Huckleberry reference is. Huckleberry, dumbass. Come on. You're screaming at the radio right now, I'm sure. Sorry. Yeah, they're writing these reviews. Edit it in. Tombstone. There's my answer. Their review is hot and fresh. I mean, it just came. I'm watching them type them on the screen. Right. One star from Will is what it says. One of those real-time emails. Yeah. Uh, Time travel I'm going to bring out our guest, Jeremy Smith, who wrote an article that caught our attention with regard to how the movies of the 19... Not the 1980s. More specifically, the movies of 1982 Mm -hmm. played a role in shaping what we think of as a blockbuster today and the business of movie blockbusters. Uh, but I wanted to check in with you guys because, look, from when I was a kid growing up in the 1980s, seeing movies was a big deal in my family. That's kind mm-hmm. of what my dad and I did. And, and you know, my, my mom and sister would be involved. But my dad and I wouldn't have it sit down and have a heart to heart. We would sit down and watch whatever's on TV. You know, a lot of it was musicals or James Bond or something like that. That was sort of our bonding. So going to yeah. movies was part of that. And so an aspect of that 
culture ultimately, you know, or was going to opening nights. Mm. So seeing the summer mm-hmm. blockbusters was, uh, we did that quite often. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? Well, we didn't. <laughs> hey, John. We, we are. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say Most more, the, but that's okay. You're going to say more about what you didn't do? I was just going to say that we were not like a, yeah. what, what, a cinephiliac. Is that a word? <laughs> Family. It's <laughs> <That's, that's laughs> a word, but that's not what you were. <laughs> that's illegal in 17 states, Kat. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Where can I go to get cinephiled? Around is here. that the one where you put all your keys in a bowl when you get there? I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> but uh, with some exceptions, yeah. like Star Wars. Okay. It was like, oh, the next Star Wars movie. Oh, right. oh, yes, we're going as soon as possible, if not right. on the opening yeah. weekend. But I, as you know, yeah, I don't have a lot of uh, movie background <laughs> yeah. when I was younger. My parents were also not yeah. cinephiliacs, as it, as it were, but- no. it, <laughs> I would go see the summer blockbusters with my friends often or my, you know, Mm -hmm. one parent would take the kids all to see Indiana Jones or whatever we wanted to see. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. there were some films that my dad loved. He was a truck driver. So if we're smoking the bandit, Mm -hmm. any which way you lose, any which way you can, cannonball rung. And if it's driving or it's country music or it's got Burt Reynolds in it, dad's going to see it. Those, those are events. That's the thing. I think that's what you're talking about, Will, is that, uh, that, that bonding over that film experience. Mm -hmm. Whoa. My dad was a truck driver too, before he got blacklisted and became a roofer. (laughs) Her dad's a real powerful character, John. (laughs) Blacklisted as a, (laughs) you can't even be a truck driver. That's something. Have you seen truck drivers? (laughs) He flipped a tractor trailer, oh, like a, like a portable parking it. lot, like fully. Oh my God. Mm, so, so, but I just, wow, we have something in common here. Yes. And those are the kinds was, of movies that her I Her dad would see Smoking the Band and then act out the scenes. Is what happened. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes. I've not rewatched Smoking the Bandit since my dad passed. It's, right? it's, it's very, it's very, very tied to him. I will, oh, I will, because yeah. yeah, I yeah. know what it means, but sure. yeah, yeah, I yeah. Def- definitely had that connection over films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned your friends, John, certainly as I got older, seeing the summer blockbusters mm-hmm. became a thing that I did with right. my friends. And I told yes. on this show, some of the stories, you know, sneaking to the, or not sneaking to the movie theater. Some of our adventures were just getting to the movie theater. It was like, you know, acting <laughs> yes. out an adventure was getting there. You um, ran across the highway or whatever. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Route three. We couldn't even You're do playing that. Playing Frogger? No. <laughs> yeah, he was Hopping those pads. We almost lost that game, a Frogger. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the summer movies were not a big deal until I got my license or a friend mm-hmm. had their license and then we could take mm-hmm. charge and right. get ourselves there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, uh, yes. And you remind me that, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, I got really excited. We were talking about Maverick. I wanted to see it as close to opening as possible mm-hmm. um, because when I got older and could drive, then I was going with my friends or girlfriend to the day, mm-hmm. the night something opened. And it was on a Friday back then. Now it's like opens was, on Friday. Yeah. You could see it on Wednesday. I mean- but then it was Friday. And so I have a lot of very specific memories about those films, which are later in the 80s when I was old enough to drive. So, you know, Last yes. Crusade, Batman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 89 Batman, um, those films that came out right mm-hmm. when I had that kind of freedom. Now, you know, mm-hmm. Kat and I both grew up in New Jersey. Kat, you, you lived in a different area than I did, a very different area. So I, I don't know if this is your experience, but going to the theater in New Jersey, especially for a blockbuster, mm-hmm. especially opening night weekend, you couldn't mm-hmm. find a parking spot. You had to get there two hours. I'm not exaggerating. You had to get there like right. two hours early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There would not be any parking. 
uh, once you got <laughs> to the uh, theater, you'd be on a long line. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in a long line, you're probably screwed as far as getting any good seats. So I would get there two hours right. early, be a first mm-hmm. in line, just wait the two hours. Then you're fighting over mm-hmm. seats. In New Jersey, you put a jacket on a seat that's occupied. You leave that jacket, your jacket is tossed somewhere it's and someone gone. else is it's sitting gone. on the seat. <laughs> yep. I think it was probably more like that, you know, like uh, for us, it was less so. I, yeah. I, what is what I'm trying to say? It was more like that for you. I think I was in a less congested populated area, area yeah. or, you know, less populated area, but, but certainly I have, have had the experience of being like, Oh, we'd better get there early for yeah. this mm-hmm. movie or yeah. It wasn't yep, all right. the time, every movie. Yeah. I grew up in Florida, which is just incredibly spread out and there's nothing close mm. to anything else. You have to drive to everything. So everything yeah. is a giant parking lot. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. Yankees in the North, you have, <laughs> you have a parking lot of McDonald's. You got to park in a parking yeah. structure to of go somewhere. Of course. Yeah. But, yeah. but mm-hmm. if you want a good seat, like we, it mm-hmm. wasn't a problem of parking. It wasn't a problem of getting in. It was, if you want a good seat, you had to get yeah. there early. And I yeah. would get yeah. there hour, hour and a half early, like yeah. you mm-hmm. will for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And that's where I developed this habit of, Whatever snacks I buy, I will not touch until oh, mm-hmm. the lights go yes, down. Nice. Yes. I'll drink, but I won't touch it right. because otherwise it's gone before the movie starts. <laughs> That's, oh, I never realized. John, I do the same thing, but you're right. I didn't realize do the you? origin of it. You're right. That's it. You would have eaten yeah. the whole thing when the two hours or the hour and a half mm-hmm. before the movie started. And it's tough because I'll get nachos, right? I go, oh, yeah. I love movie nachos and the jalapeno mm-hmm. and the hot cheese. And then I sit mm-hmm. there for 30 minutes watching trailers and then yeah. I open the cheese and it's a solid block it's of cheese. I'm, I'm rubbing it in my hands and I'm trying to I'm just slicing it off on my chips. <laughs> He's got it between his thighs. Come on, come on. <laughs> come on. Sitting on it. Eat up. <laughs> oh, that's I so had forgotten that. You're right. That's um, true. The second time I asked somebody out, because I yep. wasn't shy. Wait, was this that guy someone... who did the snake, who did the serpentine? <laughs> no, you never asked him out. No, no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't ask him out. But this was uh, actually someone who was willing to be my junior prom date. Was willing? How much was... convincing? Kat, you're adorable. Why would that even be a thing? It sounds like you had to uh, cajole somebody. It had somebody. to do with self-perception. Well, it, oh, was, it was a okay. self-perception yeah. thing. It was more about self-perception. Uh, but, oh, it's just such a great guy that I worked with and I really, really liked him. And so that summer, summer of 88, yeah. I decided, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to ask him out. And I, I did. And he was so gracious and gallant and, <laughs> and he went with me. And so this was a case of me, um, uh, doblering and getting ducky, you know, <laughs> because yes. <laughs> it, oh. it that was it you know like there, yeah. there was nothing but this date oh. but I was nervous enough as it was yeah. and mm-hmm. I had just gotten my license and I finagled my sister's car from her for the evening nice <laughs> and but I told him he had to drive and this car was horrible <laughs> so <laughs> I drove to pick him up and he drove this horrible car very graciously <laughs> to go see the movie and then he wanted me to drive back and I said, no, no, you have to, because <laughs> I was too nervous. I was a new, you know, a new driver. I was just, right. I was just too nervous. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he, he remained super friendly, but it didn't go anywhere, <laughs> but mm. the movie big was what we saw. Oh, okay. Because yeah. what'd you see? I asked, um, another coworker for advice because I told her what I was going to do. Uh-huh. And I said, well, what, what should we do? What do we? And she said, ask him to go see. And so I did. Huh. <laughs> and it was, it, that's a, my strongest uh, summer movie memory, you know, like as mm-hmm. a, as a thing. Aww. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave, but, I'm going to leave your memory the way it is. I'm, I'm tossing out a lot of jokes. 
Tossing <gasps> them out. No, Clear the slate. No, don't. Don't. <laughs> hey, uh, you want to go see a movie where a middle-aged woman has sex with a teenage boy? Mm. Mm -hmm. Is that how you did it? Because that's what that film is about. But I didn't know. I it's, not what it's, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. You're driving, pal. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> what happened? I, I don't know. No. It's because it's late at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that too. Hey, in a moment, we'll be right back with our guest, Jeremy Smith. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1980. Our guest today has been an entertainment journalist for over 20 years. Writing for such websites as Ain't It Cool News, Collider, which he co-founded, and the AV Club. His work has also graced the pages of New York Magazine, Variety, and Creative Screenwriting. Regardless of the platform, our guest always provides a fresh and interesting take on some aspect of cinema. Today, he's here to chat with us about his recent AV Club article, How the Summer of 1982 Changed Movies Forever. To find more of his work, follow him on Twitter, where he's known as Mr. Beaks. Please welcome to the show, Jeremy Smith. How you doing? Hi, Will. I'm doing okay. <laughs> oh, good. I'm great. It's <laughs> been a long week, it's, it's, but you know, it's yes. June. It's June. It's, it's summer June. movie season. Yeah, so I get to be here yes. to talk about summer movies with, and we all love How summer apropos. movies, right? And so, yes. yes, and you know, so you wrote this piece, and that's why we invited to talk to you about how well, we had heard the story about Jaws. I think a lot of folks are familiar with Jaws as being the first blockbuster, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize the angle, or, or not the angle, the, the I guess the detail that you provided this with regard to the role that films in the 1980s played, cementing the blockbuster as we knew from that mm. decade on. But, mm -hmm. you know, we said this earlier on the show, you, you just meant to, made that comment about June, it's summer movie season. The last two years haven't felt like that, uh, probably because of the pandemic. Mm. And for us, yeah. I think, I think we agree this, right? Top Gun Maverick for us got us really excited about going to the movies and it felt like the 80s again. And I think that that, mm -hmm. like that movie in 86, the summer of 86 was also very important um, because it was a, I mean, again, like Fox, 20th Century Fox had, uh, the Fly, Aliens, mm -hmm. and Big Trouble in Little China. They were supposed mm -hmm. to have like the biggest hits of that year. Top Gun ended up kind of crashing the party and becoming this big smash. Mm -hmm. But but Top Gun, yeah, it does. For a lot of us, it represents... I was just going into... So I was done with grade school, and I was going to junior high that over that summer. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Top Gun was this movie that was all about like cool guys and, you know, Kelly McGillis being the sole hot chick. Well, and Meg Ryan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was taken by Goose. So. Well, yes, she was. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it just yeah, it felt like it was a shift for me um, as a, uh, you know, as a kid and also as a moviegoer. Like, I just, I was like, wow, this is what everyone wants. They want Top mm. Gun. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And so Top Gun for it to come back now. And I, 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 I've, I'm kind of ambivalent about it because i do oh. have um there's things about top gun i'm not crazy about the militaristic the uh, the fact that it's like kind of a navy recruiting movie right but right. 
it is a fan. <laughs> it's a fabulously entertaining movie, beautifully directed by Tony Scott, who I miss mm-hmm. dearly, who is a wonderful director. And yeah, and it just so Maverick does bring us back to that kind of innocent time, yeah. in a way, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and, and it became you know you, you we were talking before we recorded about escapism in the eighties and it, it for mm-hmm. for me watching that film for two hours was escapism in a different way because not only transported to the world of this you know these uh, ace pilots but um, transported out of twenty twenty two for two yes. hours I really <laughs> felt like I was a kid again. Well, mm-hmm. and you were because it was shot three years ago, but it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you know, because of the pandemic. But yes. mm-hmm. but no, it it really is. It's it is kind of it's 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 removed from all, everything we're going through right now, like you know, with with the war in Ukraine and all that kind of stuff. Like it, mm-hmm. it's an idealized vision of conflict mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. and like America, like we don't have these tidy kinds of conflicts anymore. Back mm-hmm. in the 80s, it was easy because it was the Cold War. The Russians mm-hmm. were the bad guys. Now, mm-hmm. we couldn't let the Russians be the bad guys in Top Gun, although we had MiGs and they had like, but they were still, even then, they weren't, like, we didn't identify them right. as Russians. Right. And Unspecified. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah. Right. So These days, is- there's not one simple target to take out to totally win the battle. That just doesn't happen any longer. Mm-hmm. No. No, not at all. <laughs> and even then, it wasn't even like a, it was all about dogfighting. It was all about engagement. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, the, mm-hmm. and actually, which I'll, I'll pay the, the original Top Gun a compliment, is that the movie opens with a failed engagement, or at least the one that washes Cougar out. Right. And mm-hmm. then we get to the end, and like Maverick is kind of in the same position, but then he pulls out and is able to do sticks to his wingman right. and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. does the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Maverick is... It, it just, yeah, it harkens back to a, an era of simplicity. Um, mm-hmm. which isn't, it's like both a good and bad thing, but my God, it's a beautifully made film. Joseph Kaczynski is a masterful filmmaker. Yeah. That guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So let's talk, about, <laughs> let's talk about how we got here that we could even have this conversation about an eighties or a 2022 film. Okay. That is a throwback to the eighties blockbuster. No, mm-hmm. you, I, th- okay, I think I said this just a moment ago, right? That folks, most folks know that Jaws was regarded as the first blockbuster, but it is curious to me that, and that came out in what, 75, I think, right? Yeah. So okay. why weren't we just having blockbuster after blockbuster? Like they figured out the formula. That's it. Let's go. <laughs> because these guys, it was like, it was old Hollywood. They, uh-huh. they were all like, you know, when, when Robert Evans and all these guys came into the studios in like the late sixties, they uh, like, like these, they didn't get it. Like they were trying to make like Dr. Doolittle. They were making all these, like, they were still trying to make musicals. They were still, okay, like, they yeah, just yeah. didn't read. Like, there was, like, the counterculture movement. So you had all these people who are, like, you know, they want to see angry movies or they want to see, like, movies that really moved them or that mm-hmm. could make right. them trip. You know, like, mm-hmm. 2001 mm-hmm. was a huge hit largely because, like, you know, the drug culture really mm-hmm. embraced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get to, yeah, so Jaws in 75, it was kind of a, you know, it is a lightning in a bottle situation where you have Steven Spielberg who had been working his way up through universal. Um, you know, he, he was very brash, had had a few, like he, he made good movies. Sugarland express was a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had, but he had done some TV stuff, gets to jaws, gets his shot. 
the first two weeks of the shoot, it's like, it's going horribly. The shark mm. keeps sinking. Nothing's working. <laughs> uh, and yeah. And so Spielberg's worried to get fired off the film. And then, but he pulls it together. And the thing about Spielberg is that his love of filmmaking and his love of like, he just wanted people to have an experience. Mm. And, and you could tell with mm-hmm. Jaws that like right. the book itself, you know, it, it's a great basis for a movie, but it's also got like all that kind of, uh, like, you know, uh, Hooper has an affair with uh, uh, Chief Brody's wife in the uh-huh. book. That's all cut out. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Spielberg just simplified it. and was like, okay, we're just going to make a movie about three guys on a boat. By the end, <laughs> or at least by the end of the movie. And it's this <laughs> adventure film. It's funny. It's funny. It's bloody. It's thrilling. It's mm-hmm. everything. I mean, mm-hmm. and when I watched that movie as a kid, and I didn't see it in the theaters, I saw it on, uh, mm-hmm. uh, on Betamax, actually. Right. It, I couldn't, wow. like, it just absolutely transfixed me. And I watched it every freaking day after that. <laughs> and I was like about six years old, seven years, and I just, I couldn't get enough of it. Uh-huh. And that's, but that's what the summer movies mm. do. Like, they are amusements their amusement mm-hmm. park rides jeremy do you do you think that the the magic of jaws the the thing that old hollywood couldn't get was the fact that it just couldn't be compartmentalized that it's like well, what Ooh. kind of movie is it you know it's like mm. well is it an adventure is it a horror is it is it a what, mm. well it's all those things kind of and it's none of those things and it's a do you think that has to do with it or why, why could they not figure out and crack the code Okay. Yeah. Until no, I think a decade later. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, and I think with Jaws, the thing is, again, we're, we're dealing with old, old men and they were like mm-hmm. looking for a role for Frank Sinatra or, uh, you know, or for like all these old movie stars. Right. But I mean, yeah. seriously, I mean, yeah. and if you go back and look at Jaws and I can't remember who was up for like the role of Brody, but it sure, mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah. Roy Scheider. I can okay. tell you that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, so a lot of that would stall because they couldn't get the right star at and then it was like, well, you know, we're making, because even The Godfather, I mean, going back to that, not to get us off track, but, man, The Godfather, no one, no one wanted Coppola to make that movie. They wanted, hmm. like, you know, Otto Preminger or something like that. And, uh, so, yeah, Jaws, it just, they didn't get it. They didn't see, they just didn't value seasons. Like, they didn't think about kids being out of school. They just mm-hmm. they weren't they were so entrenched in old school thinking. And that is why, uh, yeah, summer movies just weren't a thing until, I mean, and then Jaws comes out and it, it makes more money than Gone with the Wind. And then, yeah, they took it seriously. <laughs> so, sure, in, in the 70s, you know, as you point out in your article following Jaws, they start to figure out, uh, hey, maybe there's more money to be made when kids aren't in school. Uh, maybe <laughs> one part of the formula uh, yeah. So of course we get films like Star Wars, Animal House, mm-hmm. and Alien opening in the summers, mm-hmm. and they're you know they're mm-hmm. huge in the years mm-hmm. in which they open seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy nine. Mm-hmm. But it's still not until nineteen eighty two you point out that is we have this summer of sort of you know I guess a transformation or maybe something happens. There's a nexus of things that uh, you know sort of kicks off what you point out as the blockbuster going forward. What what is what's so special about that year? Well, it's the year that they could plan for. Because they, they had seen in 80, well, I mean, building up to that, they saw that this was just, we, we, we should have a slate of films mm-hmm. heading into the summer that are going to be, mm-hmm. like, we're going to promote them. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and make 
a hell of a lot of money off them. So let's <laughs> engage. And also like sequels, do we have any films that we should be, you know, uh, following mm-hmm. up? Let's do that. It also coincided with the fact that Spielberg was just, he was on a tear and he was just making movies. Left like he had just, he'd finished like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. He was like, okay, now I'm going to make two more movies. Next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Studio studios are notoriously conservative in their business decisions. Correct. Yeah. And like, you know, we were talking earlier about how in the seventies you had more of, it was more of the era of the auteur theater you know, or director. And so, you know, a film like uh, French Connection isn't, I don't know if it was considered risky, but you get films of that sort of, you know, they're, 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 I don't know if they're popular in the theaters or later, but certainly those films are successful. Um, so maybe the, is it is part of it that, you know, you see these, these different sci-fi films. Now you've had another, you've had Empire Strikes Back. You've had Raiders. Okay, now we're buying into it. All right, we don't have to do what you're saying and get uh, Frank Sinatra in a film and Otto Preminger to direct it. Although I would have loved to see Frank Sinatra and E.T., but oh my um, gosh. as the alien, perhaps. Yeah, as no, the well, alien. And, yeah, and actually, Carlo Rambaldi did design EP right. based on Frank Sinatra, um, <laughs> actually, Dean Martin. But um, no, so it, yeah, but that was the thing. It's like they planned for it. They like the thing that they didn't know back then, like they didn't have, they didn't have like the, like nowadays, like they know, like they have franchises, they have IP, they know what's going to work. Like there's not a lot of risk involved. Mm-hmm. Back then there was still risk involved because mm-hmm. like you're making uh, Tron is a great example. Uh, right. Because Tron, you're like, All right, well, we, you know, video games are big. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy came to us with this crazy vision about video games and we're going to, and Disney, I mean, they, 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 the video games were in arcades mm-hmm. before the movie came out. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was right. a full, mm-hmm. like it was a full court press. Mine. that movie and um and it didn't take off mm-hmm. and they thought it would because every kid and I, i'll tell you i don't know how old you guys are but in 1982 i was every time i went to a restaurant if i went to a pizzeria or i went just about anywhere i was like are there video games yes, I'm yes. Go play video games. <laughs> oh yes you know? and, and yeah mm-hmm. and i just mm-hmm. so yeah they were right to gamble on that it, it made all the sense in the world it just the the yeah. movie did not connect for whatever reason I like the movie. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think Tron is good, mm-hmm. but yeah, but Tron, it didn't like, it wasn't based on anything. Blade Runner mm-hmm. based on IP based on a book by, you know, a sci-fi author who no one really knew. Um, that also was a massive gamble. And they, mm-hmm. they took that, they made that bet based on alien. Right. Because mm-hmm. Ridley Scott had made like such an amazing mm-hmm. movie. And they were like, well, we, we've got to get in business with this guy. Give him anything he wants. And it, you know, it, it, it didn't work. I mean, mm-hmm. it didn't work. I mean, it's a great movie, but also it took a while. But also they had the directors or the theatrical cut with the voiceover and not to get in the weeds <laughs> on that. But, <laughs> right, it, right, right. Yes. but yeah, so you had those. And then John Carpenter's The Thing, also a massive failure. And that was a remake though. I th- do you think people cared about that or is it just... It just didn't fit the uh, the audience at the time. That's a good question. Um, My parents knew the thing. Mm -hmm. I actually saw Howard Hawks's or Mm. Christian Nyby's the thing before um, before I saw Carpenters. Like I I, like the the imagery, everything. James Arness as the thing, you know, big, you Mm -hmm. know, coming in through the door and caught on fire. Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I knew all that. 
Um, it was because they knew it. Mm-hmm. So there was, it wasn't like an obscure movie at all. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't, I think it was a, like Kurt Russell. And the other thing was Kurt Russell was like a star coming off of um, uh, Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. But yep. yeah, but there was something about this that just didn't, it didn't click. The reviews were generally bad, um, which is mystifying, but anyway, and, and um, yeah, <laughs> and then, and I remember, I remember being in a little league game. Uh, my brother was playing a little league game and this, this mother was like, she was furious because her, <laughs> her son was, uh, he couldn't sleep in his room for like an entire week because he got to see John Carpenter's <laughs> thing. Oh and I was like, gosh. I can't wait to see this one. <laughs> and I mean, again, I'm, I'm like, what, 82? So I was like nine years old. I was, yeah. Right. I was like, oh, man, I was like, give it. Just pump it in my veins. And it holds oh up. My <laughs> yeah, oh, I want to rattle off some 82 summer movies here. that you, okay. Conan, The Barbarian, Annie, Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, Rocky Three, Poltergeist. The Wrath of Khan, E.T., Blade Runner, The Thing, Tron, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, uh, Garp, Zapped. I look, I loved Zapped, too, when I was a kid. <laughs> Zapped. I'm pretty sure there's boobies in that movie. That's why I like it. Oh, yes. Officer and a Gentleman. Oh, it was a Heather Thomas, I think. Uh, Last American Virgin, Pirate Movie, Fast Times, Beastmaster, and one of my favorites, a little known, uh, Jekyll and Hyde Together Again. I saw that on, on Adax. I love that movie. <laughs> But, and I guess to your point, there's it's sort of a mixed bag. I mean, there's a look, I think one thing that's consistent, a lot of these things are risky, but some of those paid off very few, like you're saying, uh, you know, sort of IP they could leverage. I guess you say Rocky, Star Trek, of course, that's maybe the only two out of this list, at least. Star Trek was huge. It opened big because mm-hmm. like the first movie had kind of disappointed a little bit because it was, yeah. it was like long and slow. Yep. Right. Rathacon is lean. I mean, it's... <laughs> Like that movie, it works. I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie probably in repertory, maybe more times than any other movie. Like, wow. um, you know, we showed it. I did a, a summer of 82 screening series at the New Beverly back in, was it 19 or 2012 with uh, Peyton Reed. And we, oh, uh, cool. yeah, and it was great. And we showed, uh, you know, we showed some of these movies, but Star Trek two. It just, it captivates everyone. It gets mm-hmm. everyone, like, and everyone by the end of it, once Spock dies, I mean, Ugh. they've seen this movie so many times and it mm-hmm. still gets them. Yep. And it's wonderful to watch that movie just work them over one more time. And I will say, <laughs> Rocky Three, when we showed that, like, people were jumping out of their seats, uh, <laughs> cheering throughout oh. the entire final fight. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was a, oh, it was raucous. Uh, and Rocky three was another one that was just, that was a guaranteed hit. We knew Rocky three was going to be massive, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah. Those movies, um, dead men don't wear plaid. You mentioned like that was Steve Martin kind of at the height of his kind of coming out of his silly Steve Martin mm-hmm. career. Like he, he'd already, like he'd kind of worn that. I think he'd rode as far as he could. And mm-hmm. so this was like, okay, I'm going to insert myself into all these uh, black and white uh, noirs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Carl Reiner is going to have a blast just cutting yeah. me into these movies. Mm-hmm. And we got Carl Reiner to come out for the, uh, for the Q&A. And, kidding. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was so great because like Carl Reiner was just, and it was like, it was Edith Head's last movie as a costume designer. 
was Miklos Rocha's last movie scoring. Like it was the oh. end of all of this stuff. Oh. And, um, and the movie was not a hit uh, because of black and white, I think primarily, mm-hmm. but it was also, it wasn't like the jerk. It was yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's very silly, but, but it, I remember as a kid, I didn't understand it. Like my dad would be saying, look, you don't understand. That's Humphrey Bogart. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. So what's the, he's not really in this movie. <laughs> like it well, took a while. He's, not, he's dead. But yeah. <laughs> and I love how Martin, Martin uses Humphrey Bogart as like, yes. he's like a little schlub. Yes, yes. Like he's just like, oh geez, get together. Yeah. You know, it's always with the tie and everything. Right. Like, and that's a movie I like, I'll, I'll admit, like I, I liked yes. it when I was a kid, but I didn't really get it until I was older. Yeah. Until I'd seen mm-hmm. a lot of those movies. You spoke, but, you know, he raved about Steven Spielberg. Of course mm-hmm. you did. He's, he's, it's deserved. Yeah. Um, and, and by the uh, 1982, as you pointed out, he had Jaws, certainly. He didn't look, he had his mix maybe of, of hits and, and misses, but he certainly had Jaws and uh, he had Raiders. Why was E.T., as you write here, considered a gamble? Spielberg had done Close Encounters of the Third mm-hmm. Kind, and that was kind of the benevolent aliens coming down. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you feel warm and fuzzy at the end of it. And it was like, oh, you're right. doing this again? <laughs> and it's like, and there was that sense to it. And he just, he was following a vision. It was all about this alien, and they wouldn't show ET in the in the trailers. So mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of mystery around that project. And then when I can't remember seeing ET for the first time, when I saw it, I had no idea what ET e. looked like. And when I saw him, I was like, "Wow!" Well, I was like, "He's ugly." Like you don't feel. It's not like a like I want to hug this alien. It's like the cutest thing in the world. It's not an Ewok. No, I mean I remember like when I saw Gremlins two years later. Like you know when Gizmo comes out, oh, you're yeah, like, Gizmo, "I want yeah. that." Like, I want that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, for Spielberg, who, you know, like a lot of his movies were about like absent fathers because um, his, his parents divorced. Like mm-hmm. he was really coming from the heart on this one. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, he just, like he really poured, I think all of, I think this was kind of his, his like, you know, I, here's how I feel about being a child of divorce. Mm-hmm. Here's everything I felt growing up, being the nerdy kid who was into movies. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have the friends. Um, like Elliot doesn't have, he doesn't have any friends in the movie. Right. Oh yeah, you're right. Didn't Spielberg say he actually based the character off of his imaginary friend that he created after his parents' divorce? So it's, huh. it's it, it, it fiercely, fiercely personal for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and mm-hmm. you know, the whole scene where it's the quiet man, where he does the, the whole thing with the girl, with the frogs, when they let the frogs go right. and it's, mm-hmm. this, um, <laughs> and, and yeah. And there's this transference between each Elliot and, and E.T. Um, I mean, I get teary just thinking about it yeah. because it's just, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. sentiment. All of that oh, gosh, just yes. is, it's, it's Spielberg working through his childhood and every painful mm-hmm. thing he felt. It's like, I mean, it's not like he suffered like tremendously, but as a child of divorce, it, and as someone who believes in movies, who lost himself in movies, who escaped into movies, mm-hmm. of course he would make his escapist fantasies right. like this. But mm-hmm. by the end of E.T., you know, and it ends with that, with the, the, um, you know, spaceship goes off and it's this, good. Yeah. But it's also the rainbow, you know, there's oh, like yeah, the rainbow, right. yeah. yep. kind of a promise mm-hmm. to the, I, I think a promise like, you know, to the audience that it's like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not bullshitting. I'm, I'm like, mm. you know, I, and I think everyone connected with that. I think oh, that's why the movie, like it, for a long time, it was the highest grossing film 
in uh, box office history. And it, Beat by Jurassic mm-hmm. Park, another Spielberg film. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, broke form. his own record. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, those records became meaningless. But yeah, right. but mm-hmm. and, but that movie played all summer. Played not just the summer. Played in the fall. Played all the way to December. I mean, just it was always in theaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of in my lifetime any movie that had longevity like that. Mm-hmm. And it was special. It didn't go to it didn't go to video cassette for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Spielberg was adamant there would be no sequel. Uh, they did do the book, um, which if you've ever read the book, it's actually kind of depressing. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. E.T. goes back to his home planet and he's like kind of he's he's messed up. And, yeah. Uh, oh, it, it, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. E.T. and the Green Planet. You should read it. PTSD. Um, E.T. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> he did have a near-death experience. Oh Good heavens! Is eighty-two then become pivotal as far as setting up the you know paradigm for blockbusters because they had enough successes? Because even as I read this list, as you point out, not all of these are huge hits, mm-hmm. but maybe you've got enough to say, all right, we can continue to. This is a model that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and to be honest, like eighty-three was not. Um, like the returns of 83 were not great. 84, I think is the one where they were like, okay, yes, we can do this. I consider that the best year for movies ever. 1984. (laughs) It's my favorite summer. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Because it's Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Indiana Jones and the, uh, Karate Kid. Temple of Doom. Right. Karate Kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, You've got top secret. You've got like failures of top secret, uh, streets of fire, Beverly Hills cop. No, that, well, that came out, uh, in, in, uh, in the winter. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Summer, right. Oh, summer, summer. Yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, 84, uh, revenge of the nerds, red dawn. Um, first, uh, that, that was the beginning of PG 13, uh, right. red dawn. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming out. And, uh, yeah. And uh, star Trek three. Yeah. That 84 summer, they just were, they were making money hand over fist and uh, the sequels <laughs> were hitting. Everything was hitting. Ghostbusters was like the biggest shock of them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they like, at, uh, they were like, well, it wasn't a very happy production. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they didn't, they were just hoping, hoping like hell that Bill Murray would carry that movie. And he did. Did he show mm-hmm. up? Yeah. Yes. That's the thing with Murray. It's like, yeah. Is, is he actually here? Is he going to, yeah. work? oh, Bill's here. Okay, great. Um, yeah. So 84, 84 is where the summer movie season, I think like 82 was, it changed everything. They were like, we can do this. 84 was the confirmation that they were correct. Just sort of noticing, like thinking about the the spacing a part of the years, it's, it's mm-hmm. might seem like kind of a slow roll, but in the end, when you think about how long it takes to make a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, after Jaws, okay, well, yeah. you know, they needed a little time to try it again. And, and then, oh, mm-hmm. okay. You know, it's, it's not like, us putting out episodes every week, you know, there's yeah. so much involved. Right. So. Tweak, adjust, analyze, <laughs> and then regroup and do it again, right? Until yeah. you find the right formula. Yeah. Yes. Although yeah. you're right. I mean, but Spielberg works quick and he still does. That mm-hmm. guy works mm-hmm. fast. So the other thing mm-hmm. you point out in the article that's pivotal uh, and I, at, about, I guess, 82, right? Is it 82 when we first get the introduction of the, or the proliferation of multiplex theaters, um, but I guess, it, and I don't know what the impetus is, but it could very well be that they've got more movies than they have screens because they're trying to do, as you said, run these slates. And so the mm-hmm. natural evolution is we just got to get more theaters. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. I mean, it, because yeah, multiplexes, they were like, it was in big cities. They were starting to really go with the, the multiplexes in like the late seventies. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, like usually you have like, it was like a one in two, like right. a lot of cities had a mm-hmm. like cinema one in two. Yes. That was the multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But yeah, then they, uh, I remember, you know, growing up in Blinker in Ohio, we had up in uh, Toledo, there was a Southwick eight, the Southwick mall mm-hmm. eight. And that opened, I think in like 80, 81. And I was like, wow, like what a paradise. They have like all these movies show. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and that was, yep. but yeah, once you had like the more screens, it was like, well, we, we've got to fill these screens. And, <laughs> and they, they also, you know, they weren't about front loading releases. It wasn't all about opening weekend. It was about, we can open a movie and if it like, it might take off like people word of mouth might actually get people into this. So if it doesn't open big, maybe mm-hmm. two weeks later, people are still talking about it. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll go mm-hmm. and we can, we'll find more screens for it because the screens are there. Nice. Uh, whereas, <laughs> you know, before, you know, there, it, that might've been more difficult. Um, definitely a different way of thinking. When you talk, point out like ET was running from 82 to 83. What I recall is, you know, when you talk about these theaters that like were one or two screens, if a movie did well, it may hold a spot that keeps that theater from getting the next movie in. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. sort of how I remember. It's like, well, you'd have to find ones. another theater to see the new movie because E.T. is still playing at, you know, the Capitol Theater downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you remember like in newspapers, it would be like, you know, eighth big week. Right. Of yeah. So-and-so. And they would right. advertise yep. that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, running. like, yeah, pretty much that they would want to get more people into the theater. They'd be like, well, you, if you haven't seen this yet, you should go because everyone keeps going to see this movie. And they would mm-hmm. rather do that than take a chance on, you know, I don't know. Tron. Tron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's funny, like, but I also live, you know, like growing up in a small town, like we didn't get Return of the Jedi in our local theater until like a month after it had been out. Mm. So like yeah, I had to go okay. to, I had to go up to Toledo, the big city, right. uh, to mm-hmm. go see um, Return of the Jedi when it came wow. out. Um, mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. had to go see it because I didn't like, I like it was going to drive me nuts if I you- yeah, well, and thank goodness there was no internet to ruin it for you in the intervening four weeks. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no. Like I remember, like one of my friends, like he got he actually got taken out of school by his father. And, like, he went up because he returned the job, oh. and we all knew he was going to see it, and we were just like, we're like, just just tell us, just just don't don't tell us anything, but don't say it. Good. Was yeah, your dad good. Take, I love it. Did your dad take you out of school, John? Is that why you're raising your head? No, no, no. I got pulled out of school to go yeah. see Jedi. I oh, remember. Did. Yeah. did you really? Did? I did. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, you were, you, yeah. Had a, you had a great father. Like my That's dad would never do that. Good childhood, yeah. <laughs> so oh, I, I yeah. guess they knew. Well, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> him and his friends took him out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there was a note written. <laughs> I don't know if this is the... Yes. He's he's sick for Star Wars. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if this is would we consider this collateral damage or uh, you know uh, sort of what, what's the uh, what, what do you say when there's like a negative thing but it's the overall it's positive I don't know some kind of metaphor something like that some uh, kind of uh, silver lining uh, unintended what, consequences. I, I, I'll tell you what I mean. Then we could we will okay. edit it back in. <laughs> uh, we won't. Um, but that as a result of folks, uh, of these companies seeing these successes of these summer blockbusters, companies, again, you know, sort of paraphrasing from your article that uh, the studios now focus on those films and now we're starting to lose the more artistic films of that we, you know, maybe last mm-hmm. saw in the 70s as, uh, uh, you know, as the box office draws. And now 
today it's even more so like that. You know, like we talked about at the beginning, Top Gun Maverick got me to the movie theater, but there's so mm-hmm. many films. I'm like, I'll wait. It'll be streaming. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. Paramount, mm-hmm. Uh, HBO, you know, Warner Brothers, 45 days, they're going to have it on their cable system. Right. Mm-hmm. Is this, uh, again, is this is this a bad thing or is this, you know, I don't know. Uh, do we need to go to the theater to see these other films? Or like you said at the beginning, theaters maybe appropriately are these amusement park rides where, you know, but for having the, you know, the tickler or whatever they, those gimmicks they did in the, you know, fifties and sixties. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's the an tingler. experience. The tingler. The tingler. <laughs> yeah. the tingler is something else. I don't, it's something else tingler, I got going right? on in my house. Right? Yeah. A lot of guns with the tickler. But After the show. Oh, anyway. It's a bit of a slip. Sorry. It's a different theater. Uh, yeah. One where the, you put a quarter in and the screen. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that's wooden, a different thing. It's the wooden castle movies, but no, uh, but, but yeah, so like, so like, you know, for example, I was thinking, you know, in this last week, uh, or, you know, last two weeks, uh, when Ray Liotta died, mm. uh, one, mm. one movie that really, um, when I saw it in the theaters, like it was a profound experience for me. It was field of dreams. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And like, mm-hmm. that's a movie that like if they made it now, no one, I don't think that's a theatrical release. Mm. I, I think it, it's just not a, um, mm. like, you know, it has this, you know, and it was an Amblin production. I mean, it was, um, mm. or was it an Amblin production? Maybe I might be wrong. I think it is. But it, uh, anyway, it was universal and it, it, it had this kind of, you know, there, there was some kind of magic around it. Um, mm-hmm. but again, that was a movie that it didn't open big. It just played. It just kept playing. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, well, I gotta go see what this field of dreams is all about. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember going to see it and it was like, I timing couldn't have been better slash worse because like our dog had died oh. uh, like two days before. Oh, and I go to see this movie <laughs> and it's not about like a dead animal or anything. It's like a no. guy who, you know, makes amends with his father, right. uh, through this crazy this this like insane idea of building a field like plowing mm-hmm. under his crops and then and, and and i just like that was watching that movie with an audience and you could just feel you could feel everyone kind of being carried along by the story mm-hmm. and no idea mm-hmm. no no idea where it was going because how could you like that movie just mm-hmm. it, it just it, like none of it really makes sense it doesn't make sense to the protagonist right yeah. <laughs> and yeah and and yet, it's like by the time you're at the end of the movie, it just when it when it hits you at the end, and you realize that like spoiler, spoiler, it's his dad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My God, it just walloped me. And that James Horner score, all of it, all mm-hmm. of it was just it was this perfectly crafted movie that I don't think I would have like if I saw it by myself in my living room, it would have been, you know, it, it would have hit me. But mm-hmm. watching it in a theater, and you could you could just feel it. You could mm-hmm. feel people in that theater really mm-hmm. connecting with the movie. And I just that's something. It's not about the ride. It's not about mm-hmm. you know. But like I, comedies are great. It's great to laugh. It's great mm-hmm. to and it's also great to see you know in IMAX. You know these great filmmakers make these amazing adventures. But when you see something like Field of Dreams mm-hmm. or Ghost. Ghost is another great example. Mm-hmm. Um, the following year, that you feel people connecting and and <laughs> you hear them weaving. It's mm-hmm. that's what I love about the movie going experience is being in that moment with all those people, and you feel yeah, 
all that connection, the, the feeling the communal, connected. shared oh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's a good thing because we're all like, we're, our defenses are down and mm-hmm. we're all just human. Mm-hmm. We're all just mm-hmm. there together to uh, just to have an experience together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's Amen. not like politics yep. don't enter into it. Nothing like your ideology, mm-hmm. all of that. It all mm-hmm. goes away. You're just there to experience something. And movies can do that unlike any other. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, and I think yeah. that's yeah. what's worth going back to. And that's why I want movies. I want the movie going experience to, to hang around. Well, Jeremy, we're so glad that we connected. Let's see. I'm going to not tie this together with you today. And yes. have, uh, oh, yes. Very clever. Well, we, we have a uh, very clever. Yes. <laughs> if you point it out, then it seems. Oh. Uh, but, but seriously, yeah, we're so grateful that you were able to spend some time with us and uh, take us through this history of the blockbuster and especially delighted to see that, you know, it, our, our uh, favorite decade and films from our favorite decade played a role mm-hmm. in shaping that trajectory of the, of the blockbusters that we still love today. Thanks mm-hmm. so much for your time, Jeremy. Oh, God. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This is a blast. In our old original concept of our podcast, we argued how the 80s influenced everything. And I didn't know about this detail that, you know, mm-hmm. sort of what, uh, you know, Jeremy honed in on? Is that the home, mm-hmm. homed yeah. in on, homed in on? I always get that wrong. It's not hmm. honed. Home, in, like homing pigeon. Honing well, something is a different skill. Yeah, but it's like sharpening something, right? It's it's. Uh, but it's not about that. That homing, like a, how a pigeon homes, uh, kind of idea. Anyway, whatever. But sure. you know, I like it. The detail he no, no. provided about uh, 1982 was uh, enlightening, and uh, you know, just yes. further bolsters our claim that our decade. You know, like John was saying uh, to Jeremy that, uh, but for nostalgia, it's still, uh, put that aside, it's still very influential. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, okay, hey, our show is brought to you every week. Thanks to our early adopters, Kathy Burke, Rick Parker, and Karen Flieger, and our secret of my success level Patreon supporters, John Henderson, Craig Coletta, John Kaminsky, (laughs) and John Ruddick. Oh, that guy. <laughs> he needs no he needs no thanks or recognition. He's just happy to be there. Aww. That guy. You know, if you had uh you think you're like try to imitate my voice so it makes it sound like I'm giving you those compliments. No. Oh. Uh that might have worked. And I was made me thinking like my, my family when they imitate me, it's always like, Oh, hey, I'm I'm dad. Will you go? You know And I'm like, why, why do I I would do that. All I have I can just start any sentence with hey and then I can go right into it. And we're set. Hey, exactly. that's a good idea. Hey, hey, hey. you can use that on Secret your own show, Secret of our success. John. Hey, I like it. It's good. You can use that on your own show, John. I, I, I'm uh, not going to. You can check out John on his own show doing that. Uh, Rediscover the 80s, it's called. <laughs> that's not at all what it's called. Thanks for the burn, though. All right. Hey, <laughs> we will talk to you hey. next time on 1980s Now. Hey, see you next time. Hey, bye-bye, everyone.